The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey there. Before you start listening, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast. This episode contains language and content of an explicit nature. Listener discretion is advised. Before a song is released, a record is produced, or a chorus is written, the musicians that write them think a lot. They live a lot, and they feel a lot. Before the chorus dives into the stories and experiences that shape these artists, and ultimately, the music we hear. I'm your host, Sophia Lobercaro, and this episode's guest is Merrick Winter. It's made, made me grow as a performer and as, as a as a writer as well, to just believe in ideas and believe in the power of mistakes actually communicating more humanity. You have to get to the point where you can <laughs> sit down in front of a mic and just and just decide that maybe take three was the one and just move on, even though it's not perfect, and accept that people will accept you for that. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast. It's me, Sophia. Glad to have you here again, hopefully. And if you're new, welcome. Um, Hopefully you'll stick around. Where to begin this week? It was quieter, I guess, uh, overall. I mean, you know, last episode came out right after Thanksgiving. So, you know, there wasn't really much to to report. Things were all kind of dwindling down for for the long weekend so you know not a lot of exciting things to talk about I will say though this past week I I did actually go to another new school jams night which was so much fun that's the one I talked about a few episodes ago where they did a radiohead themed jam night which was so incredible this time was something entirely different. They did a disco-themed night, which was so much fun. Um, one of the things that I love about going to New School Jams is that, obviously, in addition to the incredible musicianship and the performances and the sense of community, there's this kind of sense that you get to dress up for the theme a little bit. You know, like, everyone showed up in glitter. I wore these, like, bright orange flare pants with like chunky white patent leather shoes and I wore all the glitter on my face and what I love about it is that it doesn't come across as you know like superficial or obnoxious it comes across as just getting to express yourself through fashion and if this especially if the theme leans into camp a little bit like a I miss this one but I know they did a Lady Gaga theme people really dressed on that theme and really went all out and I think that as I sort of preach on this podcast especially about music you know being able to let go and do things kind of to their full extent on full volume just because they make you happy is such a precious thing. So getting to go to this event and reveling in the music, but also giving yourself fully to the theme and 
be camp, be silly, be creative with fashion while you can also are dancing in this sweaty room. It, it just kind of all of it adds to the experience. Also, they had some unbelievable horn players this week. Um, I think they're friends of Jay Flat, one of the organizers of the event, and they just absolutely blew my mind. It took me right back to being around the South London jazz scene with these incredible riffs and improvisations. Um, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you're in L.A. and you're not coming to New School Jam Nights, what are you doing? You need to start coming to them. Otherwise, what else can I tell you? This is a bit of a random one, but I went to go and take myself on a, a solo date to the new Hunger Games movie, um, which might not sound relevant, but stick with me for a second. Um, they wrote a bunch of songs for this movie, um, a lot of them inspired by like Appalachian folk and they're really, really, really good. Also, Rachel Ziegler has one of the most incredible voices I have ever heard. And even though she has a musical theater background, she suits like traditional folk music so unbelievably well. You know, it's it's interesting when you see uh, songs that are written for a film or in this case, a book initially that and then were made for a film, you know, you wonder if they're going to be they're going to be up to par if they're going to be a more watered down version of whatever they're referencing and it really doesn't feel like that they did such a brilliant job writing songs that feel like they could have been around forever that had depth and nuance and real like the real poetry of of folk music was present in in these songs. So that was a really, really pleasant surprise from watching this film. Um, and it's just kind of gotten me into a little bit of a folk phase recently, which is ideal because this week's guest is very much in the world of folk, Merrick Winter. I met Merrick about about a year ago um, through my friend's flight, um, who, if you listen to this podcast a lot, you may know have been on the podcast twice. Um, about a year ago, I went to meet up with the flight guys at a local pub, German pub, but it's as close as we could get to a British pub. So we took it and I get there and all of these different musicians that I knew from the UK that just so happened to be here in Los Angeles were all there. And so we had this sort of like UK plus, in my case, UK adjacent hangout. I lived in London for many years. Um, I'm very close to the London music scene. And I also just love hanging out with British people. I have a very dry sense of humor that is very akin to theirs. So anyway, I had the loveliest time and Merrick was one of the people I met there. We talked a bunch about the music that we like and just sort of clicked on that. And so he became a friend. And then a year later, we, we got in touch again. I went to go and see him a few weeks ago at, playing at the Virgil here in L.A., a really great little venue in East Hollywood. It was incredible getting to see him perform with a full band. His sound is, I mean, folk at its heart, but with a lot of 
complex and rich arrangements that sort of fill it up beautifully. Think Andy Schoaf, Bonnie Vare, even at moments, um, Paul Simon, a little bit of George Harrison, all sort of blended together. So you have this sort of like more Americana grassroots side to the music, as well as the sort of like lush expansiveness that you hear a lot in modern indie folk. So it's a beautiful, beautiful mixing of worlds. Um we had a lot of really interesting things to talk about in this episode, things around masculinity and uh, Merrick's very unique childhood in a small town in Iowa surround, or founded largely around um, transcendental meditation. So I'm not going to spoil any more than that. I think the best thing I can do now is leave you to my interview with Merrick. Even though, the, you know, like there's some songs on this EP that feel more like they're about a separate character, some that feel a lot more personal. The overarching theme that I felt like I was catching, whether this was intentional or not, was a lot of the characters feel like they're either stuck and or lonely. This is an interesting observation. It's also fascinating to hear someone else's observation reflected back at you. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of these songs were they were a collection over time. There's a couple of them that were from the pandemic. And I suppose that would kind of check out. Um, but it certainly wasn't an intentional arc. But I think sometimes when you when you put a series of works together and then you step back, you zoom out and you look at them and you go, oh, there is the arc. Mm -hmm. There is what I was feeling. Yeah. And in the moment when you're writing them or you're, experiencing them it's it's not necessarily clear but it's a it's a good observation and it's probably true i think the character character study wise um those kind of people i find very interesting to write about um there's a song called mr resistor that's um pure observation for me and and that one kind of stands out um in the way you observe but Absolutely. I think I kind of randomly put, not randomly, I do everything very on purpose. Um, I put Mr. Resistor and Try Me in a sort of similar category in that they both felt like songs that dealt with some something within masculinity. And whereas one just kind of continues to go through the motions and sort of stay stagnant, like Mr. Resistor, the other one hits a breaking point that ends in, in tragedy. Um, mm -hmm just like being so like stuck that something just snaps and 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 a horrible thing happens yeah absolutely i've never i've never thought of them as being akin to one another but i suppose yeah i was i was thinking about masculinity for both songs try me it was interesting i was if i remember i was i went away on a writing solo kind of writing retreat and my family friends live in Sweden in the woods and I tried to collect as many songs as I could and finish things and it was I was there for six days and I just didn't finish anything and then on the last night I had a chat with um, my host and uh, yeah we started talking about this tragedy that had happened in my hometown where I was born in the Midwest believe it or not and um, it got me thinking about uh, masculinity and how it, it can go wrong. 
and how um, from an, from an early age the neglect of emotions and of vulnerability of being allowed to express your feelings boys don't cry um, a lot of these a lot of these things if left unchecked without a role model that a male role model that can you know show you um, that those things are okay potentially can manifest in violent behavior mm-hmm. and I was kind of just trying to explore that from a personal experience of actually knowing or having met this this person who who did this thing in my hometown um, I didn't know them well but the story just got me thinking about the broader issues of um, for example like gun crime in America and you know schools and all that it, it's 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 personal to me because I'm half American but also observing it from a British perspective is bewildering I spent most of my time in England and you, you look at it and you go how how does this happen every day and then it happens in you know yeah the town I grew up in um, but masculinity definitely and on the side of, of Mr. Resistor I think what was I mean that was a that was a character study that was um, born of just a, a particularly a particularly creative day and sometimes you just have a day where you're walking around and everything is like oh oh I'm, I'm taking that that's inspiring I like that um, doesn't happen all the time but on this particular day I was walking past a light shop in on a English high street and it was just called Mr. Resistor I hope I don't get sued <laughs> and, I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I think I'll be all right. Yeah. And um and I just wondered who is this man? Who is this man? <laughs> and yeah, and then I and it just turned into a sort of character study of um a lonely figure and I think in a lot of ways we probably all know one. Maybe it's your uncle, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's maybe it's your brother, maybe it's your neighbor, the mm-hmm. chap that lives across the road. Um, and in, in a funny way, I was also exploring what it would look like if I never went to therapy and completely shut down and completely closed myself off and, you know, just watched the telly and had my slippers. And, you know, it's not, it's not directly um, a self-explorative thing. It's definitely more of a character study. But, yeah, there's, there's definitely an exploration of this sort of British bulldog masculinity keeps himself to himself, you know, like mm-hmm. it's maybe the, voted for Brexit. Probably. <laughs> um, it's given, I mean, I know this is such a, like, it became like such an international meme, but it's the very like stiff upper lip, keep calm, carry on. Absolutely. Kind of. And that, that permeates across British society, especially when it comes to masculinity. I think it doesn't matter whether you're upper class or working class. Um, which I still find, you know, strange that that exists. Yeah. Um, having moved from America <laughs> at a young age, learning about that. But that stiff upper lip thing exists all the way across society. And what that manifests essentially is um, keep calm, carry on, that holdover of the war. It still exists. And it, I think there's only, only just have I started having conversations with my male friends where it's like, Oh yeah, my therapist told me something, blah, blah, blah. And it's normal. Yeah. It's normal. I mean, it took me a very long time to 
to realize the benefits of doing that. And I think this record is a, is a, um, it's a chronicling of, of me. I think, yeah, when I, when I, the first song that I wrote, which was Veneer, which is the last song on, on the EP, was around the time I started going to therapy. So mm -hmm. I came to it late, and I think a lot of, a lot of guys do. I think that's, I mean, yeah, that's extremely normal, but it's been refreshing to witness. Like for me, I mean, I have a very particularly close relationship with therapy because I was diagnosed with OCD when I was 11. And so I've been in therapy since I was young. And I remember when I, my parents first, you know, when I was a kid and they saw me having like a panic attack because like I felt like my heart was beating too fast. And they were like, okay, you need to, we, you should go to therapy. And I remember being like, oh my God, my parents like want to put me in an institution. They think I'm crazy. Yeah. yeah. And the reason I say this is because I, because I have such a like an intimate relationship with the concept of therapy and how vital it's been to me as a person, I've also got to very closely watch how views of therapy have transformed over the last 15 years or so. You know, like now, like like people on on like dating apps very proudly write, I go to therapy. Like it's supposed, it's like a green flag <laughs> yeah. of like, see, yeah. I'm emotionally intelligent. I don't repress things because yeah. I have a therapist. Whereas yeah. years ago, especially for men, it was like, no, like I'm not, I'm not talking about that shit. Oh, I still encounter it. Yeah, absolutely. I still, I still have conversations with friends of mine where there there is resistance, and it's understandable. It's, I I I remember feeling reticent um to admit that i needed it because a lot of things that you a lot of the reasons why you would need to go can become so subliminal and so so much a part of your day-to-day -day consciousness your psyche that you just end up thinking oh well that's just the way i think or well that's normal or i guess everyone thinks this way or i guess everyone because everyone feels like they can't get out of bed, yeah. you know. And and the truth is that, you know, you can normalize things. You can normalize recurring thought patterns, negative thought patterns, and um, and normalize behaviors like Mister Resistor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, there's there's this there's also the play on on that title is resistance itself. Yeah. Which is, um, I think it was a Stephen Pressfield book that I first discovered that the War of Art. Oh, I've read yeah. part of the War of Art. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, resistance is a big part of it. I think, of well, the, probably the reason you didn't finish it was resistance. <laughs> you're, you're ironically not wrong. Actually. <laughs> Searching for it on the bookshelf. Oh, there it is. Yeah, I was like, where do I, I know I have it because yeah. a friend of mine was like, you have to read this book. And I was like, it's literally like a foot behind you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's where I, that's, that's, that's why when I saw that sign, there was a click. Yeah. And I was like, ah. I can I can I can work with this. Yeah. Because Mr. Resistor doesn't he doesn't know about resistance. Exactly. He doesn't he doesn't even you know he doesn't, doesn't even think that therapy is a thing that's available outside of an institution. It's No. <laughs> it's yeah, there, there's there's something that shifted in culture and I'm I'm grateful for it and I'm especially grateful to a lot of my female friends and um and my partners actually previous partners for encouraging me to do that mm. um because yeah it changed my life i'm really preaching here now yeah i mean I'll, come on I'll boys take it. come on boys open up everybody go to therapy yes especially <laughs> boys um y'all y'all deserve it i won't just say y'all need it but 
I think everyone deserves that sort of freedom that you get through therapy so you don't end up feeling again stagnant like a Mr. Zister or feeling like you're gonna you need a break or like you're going to break like the character yeah. in Try Me yeah there was a period in the pandemic where I felt like I was I couldn't feel anything from music at all and it was because there was no connection to audiences and no feedback and it was you know, operating in a in a vacuum it was a very creative period but also you know difficult for everyone obviously but I yeah I, I therapy pulled me out of that absolutely yeah and on that note everyone go to therapy um I think I think I know where yeah I want to go next to field of dreams but I kind of want to take a a quick somewhat I guess unscripted stop because I didn't initially write about this but like this is also the second song on the record that references Iowa because I know it's where you're like where you're from but like even though you haven't I remember you telling me the other day you haven't been back in a long time but you still seem to have like such a strong connection and a reverence for it yeah yeah it's funny um it's a it's a strange place to have been born <laughs> um, and people never quite believe me when they're oh where are you from and I say oh I'm, I live in London and oh, oh where are you born you know you get the conversation gets there and you go oh I was born in Iowa people go yeah right no really <laughs> um, yeah I, I basically I, I was born in a a very small college town and um, it was the university was founded by this guru in the 60s called Maharishi and uh, the town is based around this practice of transcendental meditation so a lot of spiritual seekers and a lot of ex-hippies and um, yeah people who who want to live an alternative lifestyle move there um, it was the thing the Beatles did in the, you know the, they went to India and um, started growing beards and playing the sitar yeah india iowa yeah. same exactly same, you, you same know, thing it's interchangeable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but so I, I grew up you know with a lot of um a lot of strange influences a lot of world music a lot of folk music that was was you know part of that um that movement in the 60s just kind of transferred and people would roll through town like strange celebrities like i remember seeing donovan Focusing a Donovan in our local cafe, um, Moby would roll through and play gigs. Um, David Lynch would come and give talks on meditation. Yeah, it, it I didn't was, know he meditated. <laughs> he's, there's a thing called the David Lynch Foundation, um, and uh, and it's basically set up an organization to teach transcendental meditation to um, people in the military and. Um, uh, convicts and basically it's a rehabilitation a rehabilitation technique mm. um and i'm a huge david lynch fan you know regardless of that but there was there was just some strange sort of um unlikely encounters i had with the arts in this tiny Iowan town um so it, it was like there was there was fields and farms and like there were you know people like the townsfolk <laughs> there was the townies and then there was the ruse which stands for gurus mm. it was very strange i i don't want to describe it as a cult but if it was a cult it would be a good one <laughs> although anyone who grew up in a cult would say their cult was a good one yeah until they end up on a documentary <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah it's kind of like the wild wild country thing except 
it doesn't end in disaster and and um no one was like compiling guns yeah no there was not wasn't anything like that no well, that's good no, no poisoning no murdering but yeah <laughs> you know indian guru takes over a small midwestern town there's a theme there's a running theme there you go um, so that's that's yeah my parents my mom's from england and my dad's from texas and and they met in that town and i was born there and then i moved to england when i was 12 11 wow well on that note i feel i mean you mentioned the kind of towny side of um of this this little town in iowa and i feel like the imagery of field of dreams kind of leans more that way i guess just because it's like i mean well yeah. it's quite literally called field of dreams but <laughs> there's like the sort of idea of like the sunset over the cornfields yeah. and then of course like again we spoke about this briefly the other day but the name does come from the 1989 film uh, starring Kevin Costner. Yeah. Um, and even though, again, I remember at the t- at that day you said, like, you know, it d- the song itself is not about that song, but what is it about maybe, like, the sentiment of that movie that made yeah. you feel like that was the right name for the song? Or yeah. I guess what's the tie? The, the honest truth is that I watched that movie and I hadn't been home in such a long time. It's funny, wow, I just said home. Because it still feels like, yeah. It's I mean, the place that I spent my childhood. And Anyway, I hadn't been back to the Midwest in you know, a decade. And I watched that movie. And it just made me sob. And it's not even like, it's not even a particularly good movie. I mean, it's a great movie. It's a great movie. It's cheesy. It's very corny. And it's, it's like a Midwestern high fantasy. <laughs> you know, ghosts coming out of the cornfields but it just evoked a lot of memories of like you know gravel roads and 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 um running through those those really high corn stalks that like when you're a kid they tower way way above you and you can get lost and you know the sun starts to go down and you go we better we better get out but then maybe you push a few stalks down and you lie there and you look up and the stars come out and the crickets are singing and maybe someone has a joint, you know, and I don't know. I just hadn't been, I hadn't been back for such a long time that the movie really got to me. And I, and then another hometown tragedy that I was just thinking about. So clearly it was on my mind. And I think, yeah, the pandemic probably made me think about it quite a lot because this is a relatively old song as well. Mm, yeah. Um, it definitely I mean I know there's a, a piece of the film that also deals with like someone who's grieving you know yeah. and there's even though it's clearly not taking that character's story and putting it in the song there is that yeah. sort of through line as well where there's a sense of loss yeah that's kind of again woven through yeah the, I think something that really got to me was the ghosts coming out of the field you know that image for some reason just got to me and that the inspiration behind the song was just um lost some family friends in a car accident just a you know there's something that happens but it came up and uh, and the movie really triggered it mm. um but uh, there's also an, an, another element with that song i think um other midwestern artists like uh like bon Iver have really inspired me yeah um I think Bonnie Bear, Bonnie Bear was like a huge, a huge thing for me. And for a long time, I thought when I moved to England, like 
that being having this part of my identity like half American was like I didn't necessarily need to talk about it like nothing happens in the Midwest like mm. oh like Bill Bryson has this great quote he says I come from Des Moines somebody had to <laughs> and he's a you know, wonderful eloquent writer and blah, blah, blah. and um, but yeah I, I definitely feel like I wanted to give voice to a part of my life that I'd forgotten with this mm. couple of the songs on this EP yeah it's so funny because I remember I told you that I was like Field of Dreams sounds very much like Bonnie Iver, Bonnie Iver and the sort of soundscapes and that yeah. and I forgot for a moment that, that Justin is from I think it's, is it Wisconsin yeah. that he's from yeah it's pretty close to where I was born yeah so that's it kind of adds a whole other layer that I didn't even think about that it yeah. the fact that it sounds like something coming from such a wonderful artist from the Midwest and it's such a vivid image of the Midwest like it just I don't know it's it's cool to like kind of clock an additional layer to it yeah, I'd, I'd be lying if I said that that record wasn't a pretty big deal for me. Yeah. There's that album cover as well of the self-titled. Yeah. Just seared into my brain. I think for some, I think it it evokes something a sort of homesickness for me as a teenager in England trying to figure out an entirely new culture and like assimilating in English schools and like not having all of the the reference points necessarily um listening to that record and and hearing him kind of sing about you know wisconsin and michigan and things named after states and towns and a kind of collage and a kaleidoscope of memories um that aren't necessarily all discernible that's something i love about his lyricism um it it it, it sparked something in me and that's I've carried that pretty much for my whole musical life that yeah. record yeah I think there's something cool like it almost makes it feel like it's hitting your subconscious rather than just your conscious when this sort of as you said like the memories that he's describing feel so blurry yeah. it even makes me think of like like when I was watching the video for Mr. Resistor which was made with AI and AI does that like funny thing that like it makes these like human forms but they're always just like a little bit off and then of yeah. course like the image kind of continues to morph into like various versions yeah. and it kind of gave this like one this sort of like everyman quality and like a universality to it because it's like there's many forms of this same type of person but in that same way because it's sort of abstract too it hits on that like subconscious feeling of like I recognize this and it doesn't have to be like perfectly worded i guess also because then that can also be very specific to an individual person but when it's in that abstract it's like it kind of hits more the sentiment that we all feel around mm. either you know knowing a character like a mr resistor or dealing with nostalgia and thinking of like the memories of childhood whatever it is it kind of makes it more universal yeah, yeah it's 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 an archetype um I think with character writing, you're trying to distill something about the human essence, about the universality in a stranger that you might be observing or, or someone you know well. But I think with any good song, you're trying to think about what it is you can, you can learn from other people and communicate that in a way so that the listener hears something about themselves or someone they know. 
you, you, you use the, the lens of the personal to, to reach the universal somehow. If you're, if you're doing a good job, that's, that's what McCartney did so well, yep. I think. Absolutely. Um, I think on that note, we're going to go to another two songs that I kind of grouped together, which were um, Stalemate and Eve of Disaster. Probably mm-hmm. mostly because like, they both deal with breakdowns in communication within relationships. Yeah. Um, and I remember like, again, I talked about at the, at the top of this, like the idea of someone who's kind of like feeling stuck or feeling lonely. It feels like, again, like b- both both the sort of songs deal with some kind of stuckness in within a relationship of just like I'm I'm stuck in this situation where I can't figure out how to relate to this other person or maybe this relationship is about to fall apart and there's nothing I can do mm. and there's also that sense of being lonely within your own relationship because again you can't talk to the other person so yeah anyway I, I I'm curious what your thoughts are on that and if you if you'd be willing to unpack that as, yeah. as, a, as a songwriter absolutely i think it's interesting that you group them together um i've always thought of them as, as kind of their own entities but in 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 truth they were probably born out of similar emotions i think stalemate came about uh, my friend Elizabeth Wolf came to visit my studio in London. She's based in LA. She's a great songwriter. And um, I think we were both having a rough day in our relationships in respective ways. And she came in with an idea. And I just latched onto it immediately. It was, you know, this... I just wish you needed me more. Like, being shut out. and And trying your absolute hardest to show up, to be, to be kind, to be attentive, to, to listen, even to learn about things to do with mental health that you're not experienced with. Um, and just to try and show up in the best way for a partner. Um, and for sometimes that to just not work, you just can't get through. There's a lot of, there's a lot of language in, in stalemate that has to do with being trapped or stuck or, um, yeah unsure of where next to turn um so that really resonated with me i think she brought that line i wish wish she needed me more and i think she really enabled me to be quite vulnerable um which is another reason that i really love co-writing um because you get someone else's you know someone else's day someone else's life experiences, someone else's sensibilities and someone else's bravery because they might be brave enough to go somewhere and if they say, look, maybe let's go here together, you're far more willing to do it and explore a thing that maybe your mind wouldn't have, you know, it might not have gone there. Um, so I remember with Stalemate, we, we probably wrote it in an afternoon and I had I, I whacked out, a, <laughs> we we got slightly stuck in the middle of the session, I think. I was like, let me just go grab my journal. And I went to my journal and I'd underlined this particularly difficult day. <laughs> I'd underlined all this like imagery. I was feeling particularly verbose on that day. Oh, I was like writing in, you know, metaphors and all this stuff. And so a lot of the verses like 
Locked in a war of wills, antlers silently clashing, stirring up the dust. What's the use in asking? Or the a sort of yeah, a lot of the imagery from that song came from a journal entry, and it was done in a day. And then I sat on it for ages because we were both in that those relationships at the time, and it was like, well, that was cathartic, but we probably won't play that to anyone for a while. And then my my producer Matt Zara, who's um, an absolute genius and one of my favorite creative people. Um, excellent at recording to tape sat me down and said have you got any songs and I said maybe this one this one might be a good one I've forgotten about it and I played it to him he's like yeah let's do it and he just like arms the tracks <laughs> I'm like well I'm, well I mean okay I don't know if it's I don't know if I'm like fully done he's like no man it'll be fine don't worry let's just record it and um, I, I put a camera up because that's what he and I do. We just like film our little tape sessions. I didn't think it would be the final record, but um, we listened to it back and it sounded so honest, mostly to do with the fact that me and Elizabeth got, got somewhere really honest with it. Um, but also because it's, it was live, it was all recorded live to tape, all the instruments. Um, and you can you can watch it. Yeah, and the, the take that is the yeah. the live video is the take promotion. Promotion. <laughs> you can watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's that's a workflow that I've really come to love, um, and it's made made me grow as a performer and as as a as a writer as well. To just believe in ideas and believe in the power of mistakes actually communicating more humanity, because. You know, also as a producer, I've I've been guilty of perfectionism and overwrought and, you know, overdoing things. This is where, you know, this is how we learn. You, you yeah, you have to get to the point where you can <laughs> sit down in front of a mic and just, and just decide that maybe take three was the one and just move on, even though it's not perfect and accept that people will accept you for that so that I mean that was that was how stalemate came about and Eve of Disaster was the polar opposite in terms of production it's like this huge thing it took a month me and Justin Glasgow worked on it here in LA and it was a joy it was so much fun to record and, and you know getting strings on it my friend Emiko um, played strings and it's a real production and a lot more thought went into the the music as well and I'm not sure which one encapsulates the emotion better. I think I think they're doing different jobs. I'd agree. Yeah. But they come from the you're absolutely right, they come from the same emotional center. Yeah. There there is a sense in both of like someone being shut out from the other person in the relationship. Yeah. Like again, there's there's a rift and yeah. so they play out differently, but that's definitely at the core of both of them. Yeah. That that song Eve came from. Um, I just had the title. I don't know where it just came into my head. Eve disaster. That might even be a kind of colloquial thing. I don't really know, but it had a nice ring to it because it. We've been living through. I feel like our generation's just been living through crisis after crisis of. Oh, here's another impending disaster that's about to happen. Oh, here's another one. Oh, another one. Oh, good. Okay, yeah. well, somewhere I'm still alive. And and actually living through a lot of them, like very serious ones. Yeah. Um, so that was where the title came from. But then similar to Mr. Resistor, I was like, hmm, who's Eve? 
who could she be? And yeah, it's maybe people I know, an amalgam of of people. But um, for me, the the emotion is less defined with Eve. I know to this day slightly less about what I'm trying to say with it and more about how it makes me feel, which sometimes I like with, with lyrics is it doesn't all necessarily have to make sense. Sometimes it can be a vignette or a series of vignettes or collage. Yeah. You know. That's um, kind of how I felt about um, veneer when I heard it. Cause especially like as, as half of my job is often lyrical analysis, that's both my favorite song on the record and the hardest one to crack, I find. Really? Just because I find the lyrics are the most like abstract. But, but I do know that like the first time I heard it, something about it moved me, even though mm. I can't necessarily make out exactly what it's about. And we can talk about that now. But yeah, it's true. Sometimes it is just about some like I, I said before it's like almost like it hits your subconscious in like a funny way and yeah. and does something that you yeah. can't quite explain yeah i like music that does that exact thing just as much as i like music that has perfectly crafted lyrics and i appreciate them for different reasons um, and i'm also i also have different moods for those two like i turn to I turned to Paul Simon for, you know, very well-told stories. And uh, maybe I turned to Bon Iver to, to, to feel a kind of kaleidoscope hit my subconscious, you know. Don't need to know what it's about. Uh, I think with, with Veneer, if I remember, let's see, what was I doing? I was, oh yeah, I was sitting on a rooftop in Barcelona. That's where I wrote that. Um... And it was just an acoustic guitar. And I was thinking about conversations I've had with various friends and friends of friends, people who are kind of burned out. Some friends who are in very high paying, fast paced nine to five jobs. And a sort of a creeping numbness that seemed to be approaching I don't know, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but a sense of like lacking purpose or that money wasn't quite the answer and that there was a, there's, there was a facade or a sort of a veneer um, that can obscure one's vision of why one is doing what one is doing. It's, it's quite a nebulous emotion, I have to be honest. It was a sense of, is perhaps an element of nihilism going on there, a sense of feeling lost. But that was also the earliest song and that was written in the pandemic when the lockdown restrictions lifted in England long enough for people to like go traveling. I went to Barcelona. Um, but yeah, th that song is, for me is as much a, a production and a sort of soundscape and a, a feeling as much as it is the lyrical content. Patrick Fitzroy and I worked on that in London. That was the first thing we made together. Um, I was really lucky to to work with some great producers on this EP. Um, I didn't really want to do it on my own because it it was it's far more fun collaborating. And you learn. I learned so much from from Matt and Justin and Patrick working on it. Yeah, I think the last thing I'll say is maybe this this is me being a little bit like I got it right but I feel like nihilism is also kind of a form of stuckness um, oh yeah 
And also, like, I think Mr. Resistor also has that sort of, like, nihilism of just doing things for the sake of doing things without having any kind of deeper meaning to it, so... Yeah, just going about your day. Yeah, literally, so... <laughs> Down at the car boot fair. I guess, yeah, I'm feeling... Maybe I'm just feeling a little bit cocky. It was like, I was right. So a lot of that same theme throughout the evening. <laughs> you took a bet and it paid off. <laughs> it did. Swung, well, not swung for the fence. You know, whatever. That's a baseball analogy. He's living in Field of Dreams. There, there we go. are. Eve of Disaster is available now wherever you normally get your music. This podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by myself, Sophia Lopercaro, and the artwork is by Meg Welford. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.